Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. This is the word of the Lord, uh, the Apostle James writing here. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Please be seated. And before I go any further, let's once more ask the Spirit of the Lord to work this morning. Father, this is your word, and so as I begin to speak the things that you have been speaking to me this week, I pray that I would handle your word correctly. And Lord, that you would move in the hearts of the people that are gathered here together this morning uh, to do, um, Lord, to work in them, to change them and transform them and cause them to be even more dependent upon you than they were before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'm drawn to uh, verse 16 here in that it's sort of a core part of this passage where it says at the end there, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, if you have a different translation than the ESV, uh, there's a different word that is used there, and I'm kind of interested in it. Uh, it is the word effective, and this is probably a little tiny for those of you in the back of the room, so don't be alarmed by that, but what you'll see here is the word effect or results across a number of different translations. So the Christian Standard Bible says that the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. The Revised Standard Version says that the, the prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects, plural, multiple options there. The NIV, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The New Living says that it produces wonderful results. And then the King James, both old and new, say that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So when I think about the word effective in this core verse of this passage, I'm, I'm challenged by the word effective. And I think that as Americans who think in a um, efficiency type way, that we might be looking at this verse the wrong way. Efficiency and success in our culture are typically measured by whether we've accomplished something, right? We're looking at, like the New Living says, wonderful results. What are the results of this? Based on that, therefore, this was an effective attempt, right? Therefore, when we think about prayer, sometimes our temptation could be, I prayed, and if it's effective, then I'm given the answer that I was asking for, right? That seems like a pretty simple equation. If it was an effective prayer, then it did its intended thing, right? 
But I think that that's kind of a bad lens, or at least a faulty lens, for viewing effective prayer. Because you and I don't change God's mind by impressing him with our prayers, with our wordy things that we say, with our passion, with our devotion, right? That's not what the scriptures would teach us, right? Rather, when we pray, we are earnestly lifting up our needs, our challenges, honestly speaking to God about where we are, right? And in that we are humbly yielding our will to his will, right? That's what Jesus modeled for us when he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So that's our model for prayer. So it's not about what we achieve by having more passion, more faith, more earnestness, more flowery words as we speak, but rather in that we are humbly yielding our will to God's will. So this is the supposition that I want to work with today. Prayer's effectiveness is not measured merely by observing desired change in the world. In other words, I prayed and it happened, right? That is a bad way to think about prayer, to measure prayer's effectiveness. Rather, I want to discern change in the hearts of God's praying people to determine prayer's effectiveness. Does that make sense to you? It's not just about seeing the results. Certainly God acts, certainly God answers prayer in in pretty remarkable ways. But when I think about effective prayer, the fervent, effectual prayer of the righteous man, let me think about that more in terms of what is that doing in my heart? What is that doing that's transforming me and changing me and us as a body as we pray together? How have we sought God's will and realigned our desires with his, right? Okay, how have we been transformed and drawn deeper into relationship with God by the vehicle of prayer? I think that's how we can do a better job measuring the effectiveness of prayer than simply, I asked and it happened. Does that make sense? All right, let's, let's work with that supposition today. So to any of you, and I know there are many of you in the room this morning who are laboring in prayer for someone or for something. You have been asking the Lord, seeking his will in this, but asking him to do something. And to this date, you have not seen that prayer answered. Can I just uh, assuage for you for just a moment, right? It is not because you didn't have enough faith, all right? It is not because you didn't pray the right words. It's not because you weren't righteous enough. It's not because you didn't pray enough, right? It's not those things. Now, James gives us, in the context of the larger letter, three potential reasons why prayer might not be answered. He says that if we ask doubting God's character, right, doubting that he can actually act, that that's, we're, we're double-minded and unstable and we shouldn't assume that we're going to receive anything from the Lord in James chapter 1. He also says that prayer goes unanswered when we ask for things with the wrong motives in James chapter 4. He says you ask but you don't receive because you ask wrongly intending to spend it on your own passions. So perhaps we need to examine our motives, right? He also makes the case in an an implied kind of way that um, pride is an obstacle to seeing our prayers answered in the desired way uh, because it actually says that God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble, right? So there are three ways that we might be hindering our prayers in that sense, but, so we want to prayerfully examine ourselves in that, but I think that James 5.16, which we're sort of centering on, is teaching us that the earnest prayers of those who are righteous before God, that is, those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who have placed their faith in him, not super holy people, right? simply people who have been saved by him, their prayers are always effective in some way, but maybe not in the way that we anticipated. 
All right, so let's dive into this. I want, to t- I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about three marks of effective prayer. These are not comprehensive. There are many other marks of effective prayer, but I think that these are three that I see in our text this morning. I'll give them to you right off the bat. Effective prayer is persevering. Effective prayer is purposeful. And effective prayer is preparatory. All right, so let's break these things down. And again, even if I don't see the desired results of prayer, uh, the things that I'm asking for, right, that still doesn't mean that my prayers haven't been, um, haven't been ineffective, right? If I'm practicing these kinds of things, then I know that my prayers are being effective in some way. Let's talk about this first one together. Effective prayer is persevering. Effective prayer is persevering. Now, if you know the letter of James, again, there is so much bookending, both the beginning and the end of that book, uh, about um, patience in suffering, right? Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete or mature, lacking in nothing, right? Uh, And then again, at the end of the letter, in chapter five, he comes back to this theme about like a farmer waiting patiently for the produce of the soil, right? So um, enduring suffering, being prayerful and watchful in suffering, enduring those trials is a long theme in this book. So by, uh, by praying through, uh, by persevering in prayer rather, we're able to practice this in such a way that we are able to have peace in all these different circumstances. And we see that in the text. If you look back at verses 13 uh, through 16, James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray, right? That hardship, right? But he also then says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So those are the bookends, right? In, are, you, are you suffering? Pray, right? Are you happy and thankful and joyful? Then sing praises to God for his amazing character and provision, right? And for some of us, that's, you know, you find yourself on one side of that or the other in the room this morning. For some of us, it's like, you know, that sorrowful yet always rejoicing thing that Paul talks about, that's me every day, right? I have reason to cry and reason to sing at the same breath, right? And that's our experience as human beings. In many ways, our prayerfulness, you know, it seems like lament is the much more appropriate way to approach God than joy because of whatever circumstances we might be facing. But either way, this is what I want us to understand about this. Effective prayer perseveres through seasons of joy and seasons of trouble. In other words, uh, though the form changes, right, praying, beseeching, uh, petitioning, to praising, to giving thanks, to gratitude, these are both forms of relational dependence upon the Lord, and that remains constant no matter what it is that I'm facing. That is persevering prayer. If you've come to Fellowship Bible Church for any length of time, you've probably heard Pastor Phil use this phrase, uh, prayer should be a pattern, not a panic button, right? Um, This is a practice that we should be engaging in every single day, hour by hour, moment by moment, right? Um, And not something that we run to just in a moment of crisis, which probably, if we're honest, is more the way we tend to respond to things, isn't it? It's easier to just kind of run on autopilot and do the things and then, oh man, something I can't handle. God, how can you help me in this moment, you know? Um, But instead of that, we should have that pattern of prayer that is consistent. It might change in form, but it goes consistently through perseverance, through seasons of joy and seasons of trial. 
There's an interesting bit in this passage about seeking the elders for prayer. Um, and, you know, why the elders? Why is that something that is, that is prescribed? Um, and I can say that as an elder at Fellowship Bible Church who has had the privilege of being able to participate in this practice when folks have asked for it, I can say that it is not because we possess supernatural powers, right? And it is not because we as the elders of Fellowship Bible Church carry around little magic vials of healing oil, like tucked in our belt somewhere that we get to pop out in those circumstances or something like that. Um, this is not because we believe in the practice of extreme unction or last rites or something of that nature. But rather, pastor elders, according to the New Testament, and pastor and elder are synonymous terms in the scriptures, uh, they're the vested authority of God's people in the local church. And one of our callings is to practice intercessory, that is going before the Lord on behalf of someone else for individuals and for the flock that is under our care. One of our responsibilities is to nurture life within this community that God has tasked us to oversee. The oil is probably best seen as a symbol of the Holy Spirit's power, a symbol of anointing kind of idea from the Old Testament. Um, but notice that in the text it says that you anoint in the name of the Lord. So it is not the oil that is doing anything supernatural or magical or medicinal even. It is simply we're asking the Spirit to work in a way that is beyond our power to do. Um, interestingly enough, this counsel from James is also probably a good indicator that, you know, the, uh, the gift of healing that we see practiced in the New Testament context, in many cases, the apostles are just laying their hands and sometimes even just like their shadow falls over somebody and that person is healed, um, that that gift was specifically given as an opportunity to confirm the gospel witness as it's going out into the world, or we might call it a sign gift. It's something that confirms that Jesus truly was who he said he was and that he's bestowed this power in his people. So um, in other words, that gift would have been something maybe much more intended for outside the church, right? For the unbelieving community as a confirming sign that, uh, that, that Jesus was who he said he was and the gospel was real. So that's one reason why James counsels this. Another reason is because um, with the establishment of the faith community, of the church growing and blossoming and the advent of written scriptures, that that gift is not necessarily as needed as it used to be. Certainly there's still sickness and, and pain and hurt and all kinds of things that we would say that needs healing, so we need that gift, right? But Jesus offers a different kind of healing in the gospel, an eternal healing in the gospel that is a much more important and prevalent need than, uh, than just being able to lay hands on someone and take away the sickness that they're facing. Um, so uh, just an interesting aside there that, you know, uh, James doesn't say, go find the Apostle Paul and he'll put his hand on you and heal you, right? Rather, go to the elders of the church, have them pray in this manner. Now, those who persevere in prayer, that's all of us, right, as we learn this practice, this is not just the elders of a church, we've learned that it's necessary to seek God as individuals, that is, in our private relationship with him, as well as corporately, together as a body, we need to seek him. And then there are special times, especially when we might be facing significant illness, that we should seek the intercession of the elders of the church or the intercession of the rest of the body on our behalf. But effective uh, prayer perseveres through these different seasons, joyful seasons, seasons of trial. Here's a second thought here. Perceiving in prayer, uh, excuse me, persevering in prayer means still asking expectantly even after years of asking and waiting. Can you identify with that this morning? You've been asking and you've been waiting and the answer still seems like it's a, a no or at best a wait. Are we still willing to ask and wait? 
Now, persevering in this sense, I don't know that it simply means praying more, but as we become more and more dependent on the Lord through this, right, we get a little bit more close to the idea of praying without ceasing, constantly lifting up our needs to the Lord because we see that it's totally in his hands whether the yes will be granted. Now, as we look back at these verses, we might be tempted to say that we're guaranteed, we're guaranteed the ask, right? Look back at verses 15 and 16 one more time in James chapter 5. It says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. That sounds like a promise, right? It's going to happen. You say it and it's going to happen. It will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Are the results of prayer in that sense guaranteed? It's a hard question. It's a hard question. And I think that as we dig into this and we look at what's being said here, what we are seeing James articulate to the, to the believers is that while forgiveness and spiritual healing are a certainty, that is, those who confess their sins to the Lord and ask to be healed in a spiritual sense are always granted that request, right? They're, those who repent and ask for forgiveness, that is, that is a, a yes every single time, right? But instant bodily healing is not necessarily promised in this text, where we come to the Lord and ask him to heal us in spirit and in mind. Certainly that's not always an instant thing. There, you know, Jesus has begun a work in us that he will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, right? But when it comes to that healing process, that the, the bodily type component in particular, it's, it's you know, alleged here that God can do it, that we should ask for it, and we should ask expectantly. That is, believing that he not only has the power, but the desire to do it, right? But that in his, in his sovereignty and in his will, he might have a plan that is totally different than what we are asking and imagining, all right? Um, any miraculous healing, therefore, that God chooses to work is only according to his will and his timing. You know, you read this and it sounds like if I just ask the elders to pray, boom, there's going to be a lightning bolt and I'm going to be better. It's going to be great, right? And I don't know that that's what James, James is implying, but he is speaking about the certainty that we know that God hears and we know that God acts even if we can't perceive the thing that he's doing in, in the moment, right? So any miraculous healing that God chooses to work is according to his will and his timing. It's not dependent upon the measure of the petitioner's faith. In other words, if you just believe it enough, it'll happen, right? That's, that's a popular counsel in today's Christian culture. So you've got to believe it a little bit more. You've got to want it a little bit more. Declare it and it's yours, right? I don't think that's biblical, I think that what this being said is we depend on the Lord and we entrust and yield our will to his and then we wait and see what it is that he's going to do in the long term. Um, so it's not dependent on our faith. It's not dependent on saying the right thing. All of our prayers for healing have to be levied um, in humility with patience. We've got to wait and see what God is going to do. So believers who persevere in prayer know that God always acts according to his perfect designs, even when the answer seems to be a perpetual wait. Do you know that um, in the Psalms, there are some, uh, some 47 plus instances of uh, being said uh, that we should wait, wait for the Lord? I, I pulled out four of them. 
and we'll give you all 47 of them. Um, but Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait, as if it wasn't enough to say it once. Let's say it again, right? Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. In other words, it looks, Lord, like all the wicked are prospering, and here I am languishing, right? I'm stuck and they're, and they're moving forward but we're called to wait patiently for the Lord and not just to compare ourselves to what else is going on in the world. Psalm 38, 15, for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. And then one of my favorites, not just because you two took it and put it into one of their best songs ever, uh, but I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Do you hear the past tense in that, right? I was waiting and God answered. An expectant prayer, right, persevering in prayer expectantly is asking God in such a way that we know he might not answer the way we hope, but that he does hear and he does act. And he is doing something in my heart, whether or not he's doing something in my body or my circumstances. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep going. Let's talk about this next one. So effective prayer is uh, persevering. Effective prayer is purposeful. Let's look down a little further. We get this analogy of Elijah in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Anybody in here ever pray for the weather to hold off? <laughs> Let me just get this baseball game in, you know. Let me get this family picnic. We were really hoping for a good beach day, right? Youth group, we've, we've done that in the past, right? We hope to get this beach day in. Um, anybody feel like their prayers changed the weather in any sense of the word? Like, oh, I'm the reason why it was sunny that day. <laughs> okay, I got a hand back there. Um, that's the reality, right? Like, we, you know, we can pray that way. We can hopefully say, you know, God, I, I really am looking forward to this, and if it's your will. But we know that, like, it, it feels almost foolish to say that, right? And yet, we're being told here that Elijah fervently, that is earnestly, emphatically, believingly prayed for this event to happen, and it happened. Um, now, this is the same man who literally called fire down from heaven, right, and performed many other miracles during his ministry on earth in the Old Testament, and yet James says he's a human being like us. He's a man with a nature like ours, and that always makes me chuckle a little bit. I'm like, that guy? You know, like, I'm comparing myself there. But there's a normalizing thing there, isn't there? That, uh, you know, it's, it's not just, I think James' point is very clear. It's not just the giants of the faith who have their prayers answered and see the mountains moved, right? It's those who have the faith like a mustard seed who earnestly ask, who purposefully ask, right, according to God's will, who get to see him work in amazing ways. That's an encouraging thing to me. Elijah's prayer was ultimately in line with God's will to judge the northern kingdom of Israel, right? And to prove to wayward Israel that he was who he said he was. He was Yahweh. He was the only God worthy of worship. And so therefore used Elijah's prayer in that sense to uh, accomplish his will there. So here's what I want to say about purposeful prayer. Purposeful prayer is focused, right? It's intent on a, a, a one object, a clear object. It's spirit-directed. That is, it's not just my good idea. It's not just what I feel, but rather what the spirit is prompting. And he's usually prompting those things from the pages of scripture. If I want to pray in a purposeful way as a believer, I can't just do it off the cuff. I have to understand, what does the word of God tell me to pray? How does the word of God counsel me to seek the Lord? 
um, and then walk in obedience from that, right? Now, we can and should pray for anything and everything. We've been looking at an image like this over the last few weeks for prayer. This is basically prayer, right? God is a father who we're just holding on to his finger, right? And in childlike dependence, expressing our need and going, hopefully, where he tells us to go. So, you know, we can and should pray for anything. This is not a statement that in order to pray effectively, we have to like know so much of the scripture that it just comes out of us like, you know, we bleed the scripture. I would love to get there, by the way. Um, but like, you know, we start somewhere and we mature in that process. But this is not, you know, eloquence or flowery words, right? As a matter of fact, as, as Phil has made very clear, the simple and clear and honest prayers are better marks of effective prayer than anything super eloquent, Okay? The way we are just totally dependent by asking the things that God has asked, told us to ask for, for example, in, uh, in the, the so-called Lord's Prayer, the things that we ask for, right? that is a focused and, and purposeful way to pray. We never mature beyond our need for God's everyday provision. However, deepening spiritual wisdom helps us become more focused, more purposeful, more intentional in what we pray for. And can I just say, um, so this month as we have focused in on prayer and, and been practicing this as a, as a church family has been so beneficial to me personally because prayer is not something I'm very good at. Um, I'm a studious person. I love to read. So the, like, diving into the Bible, yes, let's do that. Let's cross-reference and let's go into the Greek and let's figure these, this is cool. I love this stuff. That's easy, right? For me, that's easy. But this act of, like, going to God and, like, humbling myself, um, asking for his help and actually keeping a record of, of the things I should be praying for, that's challenging to me. So being able to focus on this has been super helpful. And I guess I wanna, I wanna maybe throw us a particular challenge to the men in the room this morning, that it feels a lot like we're very timid when we pray or we're very unwilling to lead our families in prayer or it's just something that we don't like doing. Um, and maybe it's because we want to be the, the dad hand in this picture and not the one who's holding on for dear life. Um, so I'm, I'm, I say that not as a criticism, men, but as something that I wrestle with, that I think we need to do a better job about being purposeful in leading our families in prayer and just being engaged with God ourselves. I think we need to do that. So... Um, by the way, James gives us in the passage we've read at least five things that we should be praying for, good things to be praying for. Um, I, was, I was laughing as I thought about, so I actually served as the, uh, the youth director, youth pastor here at Fellowship Bible Church for 11 years uh, before this year making a bit of a transition. And uh, so teens in the room, you guys, you know, sometimes we would ask for prayer requests and it feels like, I don't know, these, the top three prayer requests I would get when I was asking the youth group for, for prayer requests would be uh, safety, right? Um, good grades, because I got a test tomorrow, and grandma's hip, right? Those are the top three. Is that, is that fair, third place kids in the room? Okay, so uh, I don't know about you. Those are good things to pray for. We should pray for those things, right? But there are more purposeful things that we can begin to add into that, that begin to consume our focus when we pray. Like James says, we should pray for those who are suffering, James 5.13, right? Pray for those who are suffering. So that's, maybe that's grandma's hip, right? We can definitely pray for that, okay? But then we go on. We also want to find every opportunity to praise God for his provision in good circumstances. Is anyone happy? Let him sing praises, like that's a, a valuable, critical, integral part of how we pray. Three, we should pray for those who are sick. And sick in the sense, you know, there's uh, commentators will talk about the word there 
is actually a Greek word that can be just mean weak. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians when he says we should pray for them and admonish those who are weak and bear with those who are weak and that kind of thing, um, which is kind of more of a general term for any kind of weakness or infirmity. But either way, right, those who are in a place that they cannot help themselves, well, we should be praying for them, right? That's, something, that's a purposeful, intentional prayer. Confessing sins, how often do we miss that one, right? It's easy to skip that. I don't want to talk about that, Right? but actually engaging God over my failings and praying for spiritual healing and growth in that sense. And then lastly, the one that we'll talk about in just a moment here, praying for the spiritually wayward, that is those who have wandered from the faith. Those are five things just in the passage we've read this morning that are purposeful, intentional uh, things that we should focus in on in, in our prayer. Not that we, again, we can't pray for the other things, the normal things of everyday life, but man, what if we infuse all those types of things into the way that we pray regularly? I think that would be transformative for us. Let's talk about this last idea here. So effective prayer is purposeful, but it's also preparatory. So look down at these last two verses of the book of James, James 5, 19 and 20. James says, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, Prayer is preparatory because prayer prepares us for the hard, patient work of evangelism and restoration. All right? Prayer is preparatory because it prepares us for the hard and patient work of evangelism and restoration. Our restoration, as we just read, is pursuing errant and wayward believers with the gospel, right? It's, it's chasing them down and praying for them and communicating to them the fact that Jesus loves them and that they need to turn around and, and repent. But evangelism is a similar thing, right? We're proclaiming the gospel to unbelievers. There's a great example of the early church praying in this way in Acts chapter 4. They're praying for boldness. And actually, interesting, we usually pray for hearts to be softened and prepared, and that's a good way to pray for unbelievers that we hope to share our faith with. But the, the believers in Acts 4 focus more on boldness. Give us boldness that even when they reject, that we would still say it. We would still be out there and we would still be communicating it. So restoration and evangelism, those are hard, hard jobs to do. It would be far easier to maybe focus on, you know, the, the Great Commission, the disciple making. They want it, right? The people who want to be disciples. Let's, let's focus on them. That's much easier, right? And yet James is telling us that it's a huge burden and a huge responsibility but a huge opportunity for us to chase those who are wayward in their faith. Um, and then by implication to show the gospel with those who are lost. Um, I did the whiteboard class a couple weeks ago for um, how to pray for unbelievers, and uh, some of you were in that room, and I can just tell you that when I came into that class, I was planning more talking about it from a cultural perspective, and I was totally unprepared for how many of you were praying for unbelieving children. I was totally unprepared for that. And so our conversation pivoted quite a bit, and it was a really valuable conversation. But I'd be willing to bet that there are many people in this room that were not in that whiteboard class who are praying for unbelieving, wayward children. Prayer prepares us to go after them. And that's, that's, that's a really critical, right? That we would see ourselves as a voice in the way that God wants to use us in their lives, but We have to be prayerful in it. We can't just assume that we're going to say all the right things. We can't just go in guns a-blazing, right? Some of you have tried that. hasn't worked, right? We've got to be prayerful for them, and we've got to be prayerful for us in that. Now, 
I've couched this conversation under the, the topic of changing your world. Uh, Jason, last week we talked about servanthood in that same sense. You know, I, I really am burdened for myself, for us as a body, for us as individuals, that we would see that if we really want to see change happen in the world, change in our world, we cannot approach it with our, just our visioning and our action steps and our strategies. We have to approach it prayerfully because prayer is going to transform me and prepare me for the work that God wants me to do, and it's going to, you know, make the soil fertile. Um, that's, that's the only way that we can really begin to see change in our world happen. Last thought here. Prayer prepares us for the hard and patient work of evangelism and restoration. Preparatory prayer also makes us effective in our striving to know and seek the will of God in the world. Um, it is hard to know what God is doing, isn't it? We don't always see these visible signs like Elijah did with fire coming down from heaven. All right? We don't hear the audible voice, but we can search the scriptures and even where it seems impossible for us to accomplish the things that the, that the Bible tells us to do, we can go boldly knowing um, that, that he is behind us, that this is his will. And we wanna do that in a preparatory, prayerful kind of way. Um, years ago, my wife and I went to one of the CCEF conferences. Uh, CCEF, Christian uh, Counseling and Education Foundation, is based in Philadelphia. But they do annual conferences and things like that. And I got the privilege of hearing uh, David Powelson, uh, who recently passed away, uh, do a lecture on prayer. And one of the things that he said is one of the most simple statements, and yet it's the one that like sticks in my brain. Um, he just simply said that prayer is sanity. Prayer is sanity. Contrary to what the world might think, right, prayer is for crazy people, right? You know, you're sending up a lifeline to, to the clouds, you know, talking to some invisible person up there, right? Prayer is sanity. And I love that thought because when we evaluate, and maybe, maybe Joel, this goes back to your thought about the piece that doesn't make any sense in that, that lyric in that song. Um, like when we evaluate our world, like in the strife and the chaos, and the, it doesn't make any sense, right? It's just, it's just crazy. You know, prayer is like the, the you know, the beacon that we navigate by as we engage with God's spirit and rest our souls in him, right? That is, that is what prayer does, especially when the work that's in front of us just seems totally impossible. Um, prayer is sanity. That is how I'm gonna you know, orient myself in the direction that, that God wants me to go. Believers ultimately throw up their hands in prayer, not in hopelessness, but because we believe in a real God who's really in control and can really hear and really does answer, but not always in the way that you and I might think that he should. Does that make sense? So, effective prayer, it's persevering, it's purposeful, and it is preparatory. Um, and as uh, Jason's going to come and, and lead us in some more songs, Jason Gray, not Jason Boggs, um, and we're going to spend a little bit of time worshiping, I just want to invite you to bow your heads and your hearts with me, and let's actually practice this together. Um, and just ask the Spirit of the Lord to work in a way uh, to, to apply this to our hearts and our lives uh, this morning. Um, Lord, your word tells us to pray. It tells us to be dependent on you. Um, it tells us in so many places to do things like not lean on our own understanding, uh, but acknowledge you in all our ways. Uh, Lord, to cast our cares and anxieties on you because you care for them. Lord, to, to boldly approach the throne of grace. Lord, to, to just be close with you in a way that is made possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on our behalf. 
So Lord, I would just ask this morning as we think about these things, we think about the lives that you've called us to touch, um, the work you've called us to do, the, the lifestyle you've called us to live, that we would just be mindful of how your spirit wants to cooperate uh, and work in our hearts in that way. Uh, Lord, may we be submissive to his leading. Lord, may we be willing to go where you want us to go. Um, and Lord, may we do that not blindly, but totally dependently in, in prayer. Lord, for those who are praying specifically for children who have wandered from the faith, uh, who are praying for the salvation of young children, perhaps, uh, or for those who are just praying for uh, some change to happen in the lives of their loved ones, would you cause us in in those particular settings uh, just to be expectant and persevering, Lord, knowing that you love uh, our family members more than we ever could, and Lord, while we might desire to be their saviors, only you ultimately are. And then lastly, Lord, because it's a challenging thing, I I would lift up those in the room this morning who are sick in some way, fighting something, uh, Lord, carrying a diagnosis with them that maybe nobody else knows or they've only just begun to receive treatment for. Lord, you can work amazing, miraculous healing that baffles physicians today. And so, Lord, I would ask for steadfastness and patience and trust, regardless of what your answer is for that. Lord, I'm reminded that as the text implies that you will raise us up, you will raise up the ones who are sick, and that might look like healing now, or Lord, that might look like a resurrection body. And may we be willing to be content with that, knowing that in this life we will have trials and tribulations, but Lord, we don't have to fear because you've ultimately overcome the world. So thank you for this morning, thank you for the time to worship and to to study the scriptures together. Lord, would you just continue to work in our hearts Uh, May we walk out of here with songs on our lips, uh, Lord, and uh, in your joy in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name.